the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. May His grace and His blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages. Amen. Today, dearly beloved in the Lord, we celebrate the Divine Liturgy on the fourth Sunday of the blessed Coptic month of Missouri. And our Gospel reading this morning came from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 13, verses 3 through 37. And it spoke to us about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of time to judge the living and the dead. And in this gospel, we heard about a core belief of the Christian faith. And namely, that is the fact that our Savior will return and he will judge the world in righteousness. And as Christians, we are constantly waiting and praying for our Lord's second coming. In the Creed, which is the simplest statement of our faith, we conclude the words by saying, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. And earlier in the same Creed, we say about Christ that he will come to judge the living and the dead. So in order to be a Christian, we must believe this. And we must look forward to this day when our Lord will come. And our mother, the Holy Church, she especially emphasizes this belief in the second coming as we approach the end of the year. And by the end of the year, of course, I don't mean the end of this year, 2019 in December. I mean the end of the church year. I mean the end of the ecclesiastical year, which is going to end on September 10th and then renew again on September 11th when we celebrate the Feast of Nairuz because our church calendar is based on the calendar of the martyrs and it starts in September. And so as this year comes to a close, we're going to hear all of the messages of the gospel in the coming weeks focusing on the end of the world because the church is telling us that just as this year ends, so also the world will end. And just as something else will come after this year, a new life will come after this world ends. This morning, I want to give you three points, if you will allow me, so that we can meditate on them in these coming days and weeks. The first is the Son of Man the Son of Man. At the time of the final judgment, the Son of Man appears, and all the nations will be gathered before Him. All the nations are going to be gathered before this Son of Man. Who is this Son of Man? To understand, it's necessary to go back to the book of Daniel, which appears to be the last book of the Old Testament that was written, the last book in what we Christians call the Old Testament. Daniel was a prophet of the end time, and he describes the final judgment of the whole world by what he calls the Ben Adam, the Ben Adam, which is the son of man. It's similar to the Arabic, isn't it? Ibn Adam. Ben Adam in Hebrew or Aramaic, the Son of Man. Now think about this fact. The Son of Man is going to judge all the nations. And this is really surprising 
especially in our modern age, when we keep hearing in our society this, this phrase, how is history going to judge us? History is not going to be our judge in the end. In fact, history itself will be judged. And by whom will it be judged? It will be judged by the Son of Man. In the Holy Gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ identifies himself as this Son of Man who will judge all the nations. And that is a really big claim for a man who came and lived as a carpenter from Nazareth. A single man will judge history and will judge all the nations. All the nations who ever existed in the world from the beginning until now will be gathered before this carpenter from Nazareth. And he will judge all of them in the end. He's going to judge all the nations by his standards. The people of Saudi Arabia are not going to be judged by Islamic standards. The people of Sri Lanka are not going to be judged by Buddhist standards. The people of China are not going to be judged by Confucian standards. Nor will the Greeks be judged by the standards of the Greek philosophers. All the nations are going to be judged by a single standard, and that standard comes from this carpenter from Nazareth, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom God has appointed as the judge of all humanity. All the nations are going to be judged before him. And these are the same nations our Lord speaks about them in Matthew 25, when he speaks about the end of the world and how all nations will be judged by the Son of Man. And he speaks about these same nations in Matthew chapter 28, when he tells all of us that we are to go out and to preach the gospel to all nations. The same phrase used in both chapters. And this reminds us that our Lord Jesus Christ is calling all of us to preach the gospel to everyone, to everyone around us, not just those in our close social circle, not just those who are part of our ethnic circle, not just those in our age group, not just those who speak our same language, but to preach the gospel to all nations, because we are here in this world to prepare it for the final judgment when all the nations will be judged by the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His standard. Second, let us meditate on what the Son of Man is going to judge us for. When our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, returns, He is going to demand an accounting of all of our lives, and He's going to ask us terrible and very fearful questions. And the good news for all of us today is that we already know the questions. We already know what the questions are going to be, and they're different than what you might expect. You might expect the questions to be, how many psalms did you pray? How many liturgies did you attend? You might expect him to ask you those questions, but he's not only going to ask you those questions. He actually gives us a cheat sheet in the gospel 
with the questions that he is going to ask us in the last day. He will ask, did you feed the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? Did you tend to the sick? Did you clothe, did you visit those who were in prison? These questions are frightening in a sense because how many of us today, right now in this moment, if we were asked these questions by the Son of Man, Christ, how many of us would be able to answer, Yes, Lord, I did these things continuously for your name's sake. How many of us have an answer prepared as of now? If we do have the answer prepared, then that is wonderful. Good for you because you are prepared. But if you don't have the answer prepared, then this is a time for us to prepare. When we meditate on how unprepared we might be for these questions, we begin to understand why the church is giving us this gospel and this message at the end of the year as we meditate on the final judgment. Because the church is telling us, okay, you've had one more year. Have you prepared yourself by having an answer for these questions? And as we begin a new year, if we're not prepared, then our task in this coming year is to labor, to struggle, to work, so that we can have an answer for these questions in the coming year. Our Lord doesn't ask a lot of us, brothers and sisters, but one thing he absolutely asks and demands of all of us, and that is that our hearts must be given entirely to him. Our life must be a readable gospel for all people. They must see us, as I posted yesterday in the Sunday School Groom, they must see us, and if the gospel was lost, as Metropolitan Anthony Bloom said, if the gospel was lost, they should be able to see us and how we live and know what the gospel says. This is what our Lord demands of each and every one of us. And so the church today is asking us, have you felt compassion on the hungry? Have you served the homeless? Have you visited the sick or even asked about them? Have you felt heartbroken for those who are in prison or those who are oppressed and those who are trafficked and those who are going through tribulations and afflictions? Have you comforted those who are suffering? Have you given any thought about those people in life whom you know are feeling lonely and abandoned and they have no one to be there with them? Have you picked up your phone and called them? or texted them. The test is not very hard, but it's fearful because these are the things that we oftentimes forget. But the church is reminding us now that we have a new year coming with God's will and God's grace, and we have time to prepare our answer to these questions. So as we're here in Labor Day, celebrating those who labor, let us not forget the spiritual labor as well. And in this coming year, let us work so that we can have an answer to these questions. Third, finally and quickly, how can we prepare for the return of the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first, we do the things that we mentioned in the second point just now. But also, we heard in today's gospel our Lord exhort us with these words. 
he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Endure everything to the end, my brothers and sisters, and you will not be far from your salvation. But you have to endure in the right way. You have to endure with patience and humility. You have to endure for the sake of Christ, and then you will be saved. Otherwise, your endurance might not lead to anything. So how can we endure in the right way? Well, first of all, we have to keep the Orthodox faith and live a life that is blameless as much as we can. And when we do make a mistake, when we fall, we have to wipe that mistake through repentance and confession immediately. Don't wait. You know, if you ask a physicist about time, he will tell you something very interesting. He will tell you that the only time that actually exists is now, the present. The future is just a hypothesis because we don't know if there will be a future. The future doesn't really exist. So you don't know if you have an hour from now. You don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know if you have a week from now. And the problem here is that oftentimes we delay our repentance and we say, well, let me give it some time. I'll go next week. I will go next month. But that's just a hypothesis. You don't know if you actually have that because the only time you do have is now, this moment. So don't delay. Repent and wipe out all of your transgressions immediately and make the first appointment you can. And if you can't see the priest quickly, at the very least, in that moment, between you and God, offer your repentance and say, Lord, I repent of what I have committed. Cleanse me and grant me the chance to go to the church and confess them before you in the presence of the priest so that you will forgive me completely. Secondly, in terms of how to endure in the right way, accept everything that you have to endure as coming from the hands of God. Remembering that nothing in life happens without the will of God. Oftentimes when something happens, we don't endure because we're so focused on complaining or asking why or blaming God or judging God. But remember that everything that happens in life comes from the hands of a loving Father who knows what is good for our salvation and what's good for our spiritual growth. The third thing that we can do to endure in the right way is to sincerely give thanks to God for everything, believing that everything that comes from the Lord is good and for the salvation and benefit of our souls. This is why we offer thanks like this, right? We thank God for the good, we thank Him for the bad, because the good and the bad come from God, and so we thank Him. The fourth thing that we can do to endure in the right way is to love sorrow, to love tribulation, to love suffering. Now to the modern ear, that sounds very weird because the modern world teaches us to escape suffering, to escape pain, to escape tribulation. But we as Christians are called to love those things. Why? Because those things have great power for our salvation. Without those things, 
we don't have a strong connection with Christ because when Christ came, his entire life was sorrow. That's why he's described in the book of Isaiah as the man of sorrows. From the moment he was born, he was pursued to be killed and he fled to a distant land. He went all the way down from Israel, all the way down to Asiud, to Upper Egypt, and then all the way back. His own people tried to throw him off of a cliff when he went back to his hometown. He had disciples who denied him, disciples who betrayed him, people and leaders of the Jews who wanted to put him to death until they were finally successful. Our Lord truly is the man of sorrows. And so we as Christians, we love sorrow because that sorrow connects us with the man of sorrows and it gives us a fellowship with him. And when our Lord sees that we have also dealt with sorrows and tribulations in our lives, when we stand before him on that last day, he'll see something in us that is familiar. He'll see himself in us. He'll see that we are also men and women of sorrow. And then there will be a real connection. And he'll say to us, come and enjoy all that I have prepared for you after this life of sorrows that you have endured. The fifth thing is to keep in your thoughts that when misfortune or sorrow comes, you can't throw it off like a piece of clothing that's causing you to itch. You can't avoid to bear it. One way or another, you're going to bear with the tribulation. One way or another, you're going to have to deal with it. So it's better to deal with it as a Christian. Because when people don't deal with it as a Christian, they complain, they think, they blaspheme, they blame God, etc. And none of those things helps them in their salvation. Either way, you're going to deal with it. So might as well deal with it as a Christian for the sake of your spiritual growth and your salvation. Sixth, in terms of enduring the right way, I want you to always realize that you deserve even greater misfortune than what God has given you. At least that's what you should say to yourself. Lord, I deserve worse than this because of my sins. If you have that humility and you see that whatever happens, you rightly deserve it, it will help you to bear whatever comes in your life because you'll have that humility and Christ will see your humility and he will crown you. As he said, the Lord resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And seventh and above all, in a time of tribulation when you are called to endure as we wait for the coming of the Son of Man, pray continually that the Lord will give you strength to endure in this world until he returns. This is why Christians oftentimes when they when people see like for example the 21 martyrs of Libya when people saw their endurance when they saw the family when people saw that all over the world they were all comforted and they all asked what religion is this what faith is this that the parents rejoice that their son or daughter was martyred this is the kind of prayer that we should offer to God every day so that God will help us to endure to the end so that we may be saved. To our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man who will judge 
all the nations in the end to him being glory with his good father and the all holy and life-giving spirit now and forever and unto the age of all ages amen